You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Welcome everyone who has decided to listen today. Um, Today's podcast will be on how do we bring an old and large industry into the new world? And we've got three fantastic panel members today. So let's go around the table. And first we'll go to Ola. So if you give your introduction, please. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ola Repling. I'm the CTO for uh, Clear Channel International. We are uh, the uh, out-of-home uh, industry uh, provider, basically. We have, uh, in Sweden, we have, uh, for instance, the uh, uh, advertising in uh, the subway in Stockholm plus uh, thousands of uh, other panels all around the city and uh, sorry, all around the, uh, the country. And we are basically over 140 years old. So we are the oldest of the old, but we're also the newest of the new because we've gone from having paper to having now paper and digital and a lot of moving images and uh, billions of permutations that we need to um, put the right content at the right place. So we have a fantastic uh, history and a fantastic journey and uh, a fantastic future. Uh, and it's all uh, depending on, on moving from the old large industry into the new world. So I'm happy to be here to talk to you guys. Perfect. So let's go to Stefan. Yeah, nice to be here. I'm Stefan Persson. I work at Tink for like one month back as engineering director. Um, so Tink is uh, Europe's leading open banking platform. Uh, so this is very much new and uh, working towards some very old industry, banks and financial institutions. But I have a background, I worked in consumer electronics, but before that in the automotive industry with companies who were more like 100 years old uh, with digital services and software and that kind of stuff, basically. Perfect, Stefan. Oh, that was a lovely introduction. And finally, Kevin, who's been on the podcast before. So thank you, thank you for coming on again. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so I'm Kevin Albrecht. I'm the CEO of PFC, personal finance company. So PFC is a we're a neo bank. Uh, you can think of us as like a modern all digital bank, and we help consumers who want to have a really great experience. Uh, kind of starting their a new phase of their financial life. So people who are getting a little older or maybe want to invest for the first time, save for the first time, uh, and to have overall better banking experience. Um, for myself, so you know I'm a CEO, but I've been a CTO before. My background's technology. I've been an engineer for most of my career. So technology is is uh, is what my passion is really. CEOs is kind of a way for me to help bring technology to more people. Perfect. Right. Let's crack on. Introductions are out the way. Uh, and like I said, we're explore, exploring the old v the new. Um, so we've got about eight or nine questions to go through today. Um, and we're probably going to have a bit more of a fluid conversation uh, than usual. So first question. So let's start at the start. So what is the what is actually the difference between the old and the new companies? So how do you differentiate it? And I'll put that to the panel. So, yeah, maybe I have to start because <laughs> I think I wrote that. Give some intro of my trailer thought on that one. 
because one of the things I reflected on, you know, during the last decade or so, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the old companies and new coming and disrupt the old and basically using new technology and that's it. And it is of course true that you always treat it like an old company, but it doesn't help us much. I've been trying to think about, you know, what is that actually about? I mean, just talking about new and old doesn't really help us. And I tried to, one way I started to think about it to kind of understand it is if you think like a scale between like uh, adaptability on one end and consistency on the other end, I think any company has to kind of move on this scale between being adaptive, being consistent. And any business who want to be profitable and make money has to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And that's also like in Silicon Valley, company says, don't scale too soon. Why is that? Because you're not consistent enough. And I think, so I think it's a bigger kind of issue that if you want to grow a business and be big, you have to be super consistent. And what a lot of these kind of old companies done is that they actually just been that <laughs> and setting up loads and loads of structure for doing the same thing repeatedly over and over again and being super successful. Many of them, especially in the era of globalization, when kind of scale has beaten everything else. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, that's just a way to frame about it being instead of being old and new, think about being consistent and being adapted. Uh, I have a comment on that because I think that uh, if I get any of my colleagues to listen to this, they will laugh because I will take the first question to get into my mantra of what I call rigidity at the core to allow flexibility at the edge. Mm. And one of the issues we've had is that we, we are 140 years old in, in Sweden. It's been built up by entrepreneurs. They've always been at the cutting edge of uh, solving customer problems. And uh, what I've been talking about is the, the, the MacGyverisms. If you remember MacGyver, the engineer on TV, who can solve any problem with a piece of string and a chewing gum and a, a paperclip. The problem is that solves the problem right here and now. And what we've had in many cases is that you, you solve the first problem, and then you solve the second, the first problem, the, the, the problem that the first solution uh, created, you solve an, another one, and then mm. another one, and then another one, and you built up this monolith that does exactly what it needs to be doing, but then reality sh- changes. So the adaptability is very, very, very low because it takes forever. You have, you have flexibility in the in this core, which makes you very rigid in the edge. And the analogy I'm trying to, to put into people's minds is that if you want to be a new company, you need to be, be the Lego company. That's you know they've been around for sixty plus years, I think, and they're extremely rigid at the core. The, 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 the pieces haven't changed since they started. I can still use the, the same pieces my dad used, and they will be future proof. They will work tomorrow as well. Mm-hmm. But you can build whatever you want. So if you want to be a new company, it doesn't matter when you started. It, it's it's more of how you built up and how you can actually uh, provide this uh, repeatability and change to the uh, changing demands from the customers. How I can actually meet the new demands, not with the old solutions, but with new solutions based on repeatability, scalability, and uh, maintainability, all of this. So that's the, the, the my, my, my thinking is a mindset and a way of working, which gives you this rigidity at the core and allows you flexibility at the edge. So. No, I, I, I basically use the same mantra all over again. I, this is what I'm drumming in, and everything I do in my work is like, this is. We have to get back to this. People are laughing at me, but they're finally starting to catch up. 
<laughs> it takes mm. a number of years, but then they're starting to understand, okay, this is what you mean. Uh, but this is, I think, is the, the only way for us to, to, to move into the new company. Because mm. you're only a new company for a very short period of time. Mm. And you see that with the banks in Sweden. They were new 20 years ago. Now they're old. What's your thoughts, so, Kevin? Yeah, I, I agree with what everything you said, Ola. Um, I guess the way, way I think about this is like new versus old companies is is around risk. So like a new company comes around and they're willing to take every risk because there's nothing to protect. There's nothing to be, they need to be safe about, right? So they can, they'll do crazy things, try new technologies. They'll, they'll, they'll break some rules and regulations, you know, they'll try not to be too, too wrong, but they'll, but they'll take some risks there. Right. And I, yeah, who cares if we get shut down by, you know, a, some regulator, um, because, you know, we're gonna lose everything if we don't do this anyway. Right. So like they're willing to take all the risks. And then, of course, as you get customers and, and hopefully revenue and, and profitability, you're willing to take less and less risk, which means you're all and all you're doing is protecting that the thing you're already making, you're already making and the revenues you already have and the customers you already have. But that if you're unwilling to take any risks at some point, then it's impossible to, to innovate. Uh, I mean, business is a risk because the safest thing to do with money is not to have a business, right? It's just to like keep it in the bank. And so I, I think often it's like trying to move towards being a new kind of company versus being an old company is about choosing how much risk you're willing to take and what, what are you willing to not protect, basically, to put on the line. Can, can, can you have that risk and have the rigidity that uh, Ula was saying? Yeah, good question. I think, I think you can. I mean, because I think risk versus, versus complete safety is not about I mean, it's kind of a parallel thing to what, uh, perpendicular, like kind of uh, to what uh, Ulo was saying, because you know you can be, you can have a great technology platform that's able to expand, but you only expand to keep make yourself more compliant and more safe and keep the processes in place, right? Versus expanding to add new functionality and take new business risks um, and meet new customer needs. And yeah, totally. Any further thoughts, Stefan? Yeah, I agree, agree with this. And this was kind of my point that I think that this idea of new and old is kind of not really solving anything. It's more like, okay, face the fact you only have to, like you say, be like what I call consistent. I mean, being compliant, the risk averse, but then like Mir, like Ola said, more of this, create an organization with this. I don't know if I interpret you correctly, Ola, but I'm thinking this kind of a company like a Lego structure where you don't have one financial process, you don't have one budgeting process, you don't have one way to make decisions. You, you have to be, and I think, um, and um, where you can kind of adapt the way you do things depending on what a specific line business area or something you do, the maturity of that. Because it, if it is scalable, then, and you have a lot of customers, then you have to have compliance in place. You have to do all of these things. But you can't put all of that onto like new ideas. And that's what happened in, in old companies. And I think a lot of new companies run into exactly the same <laughs> problem because they think, oh, we're different. But then all of these things come up. Oh, they do different in different markets. Well, we have to prevent them from doing that. We have to standardize. <laughs> and then you start to pushing central solution to markets and you have to tie them down. And then you're, that's where you're at. So, um, I think this is the, the, the difficult one. And I think I, my background is I worked a lot with the automotive industry and manufacturing industry. 
And one of the stories, I don't know if this is true, but it's a good it's a good story from Scania's perspective. Uh, I heard that they had like uh, the, the truck had two and a half thousand components and they could make 25,000 uh, different trucks to meet the customer needs. And what they said is one of the German manufacturers, they had 25,000 parts in the truck, but it can only make 2,500 different trucks. And of course, the way that they, that that this happened is because they didn't make the rigidity at the core. They made all of the components different. While uh, uh, Scania, the philosophy at least, has always been to make the modularized, so customizable mm -hmm. standards. And that's why when I talk about this, is like I do want us to have the same uh, core uh, finance process. I want us to be on the same. Uh, uh, if we go for dynamics or finance operations, I want that to be one instance or one one setup. But then, of course, we need to adapt it as little as possible for the local needs. And the problem is, uh, if, you don't, if you have you have dynamics and you have uh, uh, SAP and you have uh, you know whatever you have in your world, that's that's where you get an issue with the old company because they've been growing away. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I have to comment on that since I I am a former Scania employee <laughs> after the modularization there. Uh, Scania is a very interesting example. I mean, first of all, what they say is true. I mean, they've been world leading when it comes to modularization and, and driven a business model based on, on flexibility from, from yeah. uh, like 1950s or at least since the 1980s. And they're like a really, really old company <laughs> who yeah. are doing things that would are super modern for <laughs> many other companies. So this old and new, but, and they are, but I actually, since I've worked there and worked with innovation to some extent there, um, I mean, the, the thing they have with the system is that they can be, the idea is as Scania is to be able to customize for each customer. Mm -hmm. So it's super customizable. So each market, each customer can make their own choice. That's kind of thing with a modular system. So you can make whatever it is. But in order to run that system efficiently, they, the structure has been quite tight on how you run that. It's very much a machinery. So it's been very hard to kind of introduce other business models in that context. Uh, yeah. And, and, but it's, I mean, it's the most successful company in its industry. It's been profitable since like 1940s, basically every quarter, uh, double digit, you know, profits. So I think this is, um, I should leave this now, but I really think it is a challenge, you know, how you balance this, you know, you being super consistent, you have to be that in order to be successful. I, I think it's it's hard otherwise. You have to find this. And, and Scania have been super flexible in, in the system, but they're super rigid in order to get the system to work, right? Yeah. It's super consistent in how we always think modularization. We always mm. do this hard work. Yeah. We never, you know, step out of line. So mm. it's a combination of being actually... And I think that has to be the trait of any successful company that you're like really, really good at something. You're better than everyone else at something in your core. And then you manage to kind of turn that ability into, into kind of a, an advantage. And in order to be really good at something, you have to focus. Uh, so I agree with you, but I also think, I don't think it's an easy task to solve. I think you have to sacrifice in order to scale and be consistent. And somehow you have to be able to be be like adaptive as well. Um, are we are we saying then? Are we saying companies like Scania, thinking about the topic we're discussing today, they're in the new world now, and they 
were, were and still are a large company. Yeah, are we saying uh, that whatever Scania are doing now and companies like Scania, yeah, have successfully done what we're talking about today? Uh, yeah, they are, Scania is very much now a lifted, but they're very much doing a transformation and have, I think they have a culture and a kind of people and a way of thinking and a leadership that allows uh, this, and um, I could come to it because I think that is in core to be successful. So they are doing this transformation, but it is hard to run, you know, parallel business models or establish you know a new business model on the side of an existing one it's it's this exploration exploitation problem is a hard one uh, um, i think it's something that comes to mind when, when you guys are talking about this is i'm thinking about the way that uh you know when, when a customer or a consumer of a business looks at a business from the outside they look at the product they create but that product is the result of of the processes in the company, right? And it's like some companies folk put a lot of focus on the what they produce, and they can might produce something great or not, but mm-hmm. they might, and that might be a temporary thing if they have a bad process in place, right? So they have a good process that just from luck they manage to create a great product temporarily, and other companies which consistently create great products again and again and again because they have good processes internally and they're like and that are that are successful. Right, and that could be an old an old company like Scania or a, a new tech company like hopefully uh, hopefully mine and, and other tech companies. Um, I didn't know you were from Scania, myself. I'm sorry to if I put you on the spot, but uh, <laughs> no, you, you don't put me on the spot. You put me on the comfort zone. But uh, <laughs> since I left Scania a couple of years ago, maybe I shouldn't talk too much about them. Let them speak. But but uh, yeah. I think I try to be positive. Uh, and yeah, me, me, I use them as a as a very positive. Yeah. Uh, it's a sto- you know, it's more about the storytelling, and that's why I'm saying I, I I want to make sure you know it's not about if it ha- it's 100 percent true or not. It's that's the the story and the feeling I got, and it's a it's, a, it's an old company, but they 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 pride themselves in the story that they tell, and and what I want to create in my uh, organization is I want them to actually think around this, and mm-hmm. I want, uh, what we said is that we have the tech factory, which is basically cranking out hundreds of thousands of the same. And then we have the digital factory who are, who are focused on, on creating the concept cars. And what, what I usually say is that, you know what, you go and make your crazy concept cars. And if, you know, if one in three actually make it into production, that's a success. But then I'm going to make 800,000 cars. I need them to be then modularized, standardized. All of them need to go into the, the tech factory processes. But as long as you're doing proof of concepts or you're doing uh, customer-driven uh, testing and uh, all of this, do whatever you want, but then we have to transform it into the factory in order to be able to uh, to make it efficient and effective and and maintainable and, and scalable and integratable and everything else we need. Mm. So that that's why I, I use the automotive industry as a as a good example, even though we are not at all the same type of industry. The concepts and the processes and the ways of thinking, I think, is uh, it works. Um, it's it's a fascinating discussion. This, um, and I'm just going to move. It. Slightly on, um, Kevin. Um, we're looking at you, obviously, uh, being um, in a startup, um, a, a PFC. What other things, apart from risk, in your view, um, are the characteristics of what you would see as um, a new company? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, I, mean, I, I think that. A new company, like I said, 
I'll, I'll repeat the risk thing again for sure, because I think that's really that is kind of key. I think about new companies versus old companies is is the risk aspect. But I, I think that um, I think beyond that, new companies they think about they think about the how can we minimize the part of the product that we are spending our time focusing on. So I mean, like a, a new company, let's take mine. You know, we're we're a startup, and the way that most Techno- uh, finance companies in the past would operate is that they have built all of their technology in-house. They mm-hmm. they run physical servers. They uh, they have physical office space, right? And so they are taking care of every, all these things. They got to run server farms and you know the whole whole thing top to bottom. But uh, but and so they care about this whole thing. They have to have they have to employ people to manage these physical servers and uh, staff branches, right? So they care about a huge part, a huge product. Whereas technology companies can can focus in a more modern way is to focus on just the part that think they can add some kind of new value to the to the product. So you know, we are we're at my company. We're 40 people basically running a, a product that serves 100 and something thousand customers in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have never touched a piece of physical hardware. I mean, that's we've out we're on the cloud, right? Uh, we yeah. don't have any physical branches. And I'm, we're not alone here. Obviously, this is kind of the way that any modern tech company operates: is they don't run all this, all these other parts that aren't core to the business. It's like the things that matter to the business, where we can add new value. That's where we're focused. All these other things, we can have other experts run those parts of the business, essentially. So we don't, we don't have to run everything top to bottom in the, in the product. We run that the piece that's most important, the part we can add value to. You know, so you know, like us, if we're going to add some great visualizations around. Um, uh, around how people spend, we'll probably use something like Tink, right? Mm. Uh, we'll we'll not try to build to reinvent visualizations from from the ground up ourselves. Why? Someone else is an expert at that. Let's use a third party here. Um, so, so do you reckon so um, bringing an old and large company into the new age? Yeah, do they have to move to the cloud? Yeah, do they have to be a, even more niche? Yeah, is that is that what you kind of say? I don't think they have to move to the cloud per se. I mean, maybe there's a reason why a particular company they're adding the most some great new value by building handling their own physical infrastructure. I can't think of the top of my head why what that would be, but maybe it's possible. But I think the key part is like identifying in the business where are you not going to add some kind of new value. I mean, PFC, we're trying to provide great financial experience to our customers. Mm-hmm. Our customer doesn't care if it's hosted on a physical rack in a data center somewhere or if it's uh, th- that we're running or if it's being run by you know amazon or google in the cloud warehouse that doesn't really matter to them it doesn't really affect them uh, unless it does affect them through some kind of security problems but but i mean um, these kinds of uh, of services are now commoditized so why why rebuild it from scratch basically what are your thoughts stefan uh yeah i, I was just thinking i mean we're working with Quite a few, like in Scania, we did a shift towards the cloud, and I know many other industries have done that. It's painful to do in a big and old organization, but most actually manage. It, it, it's slower and, and takes more work, but they can also spend the time and have the time to spend. So I think this adapting this technology happens. It's a bit, it's really painful, but they actually push through. I think the other thing you bring up that actually stop doing everything yourself. I think that is like the the bigger journey, <laughs> the bigger transition to actually go from you know 
can we do it ourselves to do we have to do it ourselves right. and like you say a, a smaller company with more edgy there and i think traditionally you had to do everything yourself so you kind of set up all of this functionalities but today it's a different world and you can do partnerships and you can do third party and you can buy companies or whatever so mm -hmm. this is uh, a bigger change i think both are changes but i think it's easier to do the technology shift than the, than the mindset shift is that because this, the latter is a cultural shift rather than a technological shift? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. And it's 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 a bigger difference on how you operate. Even even it, it's a bigger difference, like um, uh, letting other ones in. I mean, you need to open up your company. Let other people in, you maybe need to adapt your processes and the way you kind of let things happen, what is secure and what is not secure. I mean, the beginning, you know, moving to cloud was like, oh, it's very insecure. And then after a long while, people understood that, you know, Amazon has pretty good security in place. It's probably physical <laughs> security is better than, you know, your own. Yeah. But that was a long journey. So, uh, and that's just details. And I think there are so many of those kind of details that is stopping it and if you don't uh, really convinced that you have to do the shift there are so many obstacles um that Hola. that would prevent you uh, sorry i think that the, uh, in our case i think that the, the the cultural shift in the engineers because one of the things i'm trying to say is that if we can buy it we should buy it there's no reason for us to, to develop anything that we can actually buy from somebody else and have them maintain it and provide the apis and provide the the patching and the security and all of that so just having that mindset shift that even if you can build it and you think you can build it better than somebody else, is this our core product? Is this a core service that we should be doing? Is it, does it give us business uh, value or, or not? And having that mindset change is, is difficult because the engineers are good. They're great at, at building things and they want to build things. So uh, that's the, the one we, we want to work with and getting them to understand that you don't have to build it. You can integrate it. You can uh, do all the, uh, the uh, you know, keep it alive and uh, and ex expand on on it. But don't build it yourself because then you're stuck with old. You become old very fast. Perfect. Okay. Um, oh, it, it it was a statement. Um, think i think it was from all our stefan um all old companies started as startups what went wrong in inverted commas i might add um and are the changes reversible meaning we could just remove what has been added um so who was it gave me that question it was one i of think you. i gave you the question yeah I, it, it's one of those uh I didn't have an answer to. <laughs> I guess to just another angle on the same problem to try to understand it. Uh, Are you trying to see if you could almost reverse engineer the title of the podcast in terms of can you just look at what was old and large, remove all the processes that happened to make it old and large, and think about some of the stuff I don't know that PFC are doing and just bolt that on instead. Is that, yeah, is, that is that the discussion we're having? Didn't Kevin just put this very very well? It's about the risk. Well, if I when I read that one, I thought about uh, Nokia, because Nokia, if you know, again, if you if you make a, a good story about this, they were a rubber boot company, who went into TVs and then went into uh, uh, cell phones and basically got sixty percent of the world market, and then they lost the risk appetite, 
they were so yeah. concerned about keeping what they had that they actually died more or less. They were sold off. That part was sold off to uh, Microsoft and and then closed down a few years later. And I think that Kevin, what, what you said is exactly what happened. They had risk appetite and they they saw opportunities. They took it and then they stopped. Yeah. Because they were they were so successful. Yeah. I mean, another yeah. company did this is like you know this is a little old now, but if you remember the the browser wars like 20 years ago, kind yeah. of around Microsoft, right? Like. Microsoft Netscape Navigator was the the browser everyone used in the world, and then Internet Explorer from Microsoft came around, and they captured the entire market like basically overnight, killed Net Netscape, and they said, okay, we're safe, we don't need to do anything at all anymore. No one can ever beat Internet Explorer, and then of course Firefox and Google Chrome and Safari came along, and now who cares about Internet Explorer anymore? Yeah. It's like they they just they had this huge risk appetite. Let's let's that's just something crazy and capture the entire market and they did and then they just got happy with it and uh, lost the entire market. How, how do you make sure you, you get a company to actually uh, retain the risk appetite? When you're top of the world, you have you know, market share is amazing, everybody loves you. How do you get companies to make that risk or take, take that risk again? And this is being in tech, I, I have no problems having engineers take risks. But it's about having the the business side of thing of, of the company to say, yeah, you know what, let's uh, let's skip these sixty percent market share we have and go for something else. That's difficult, and I have no answer to that. <laughs> mm. No, but uh, one interesting topic there, like if you look at the Amazon leadership principles, that been, I mean, one of them is really that uh, trying to push that most decisions are reversible, so speed is more important than anything else. Uh, now. Uh, if you like building a factory or something, it's not obviously <laughs> that is easily reversible <laughs> or building a concrete foundation. So I think it, it might depend a little bit of what you, it, you do being a tech company, it's easier. But then again, we talk about the new world where software comes in and is an adaptable part, right? That's what mm -hmm. software really adds. So that means also that you could you know, start thinking like that. Okay, we can try things and we can reverse it. It's, it's possible. Uh, and I think that mindset is, is a big shift and it hasn't always been like that. Um, in other types of decisions, you can't really reverse easily. I think you have to you know, pay attention to the context and also of these old companies, why they ended up where they did and, and what was the mechanics of their kind of operation and decision-making. Because if you don't, you might end up doing the same mistakes yourself, right? Because you think they're just old and stupid, but actually they had some real problems that you really tried to fix. Uh, I had one comment about, uh, sorry, but I agree, really agree with the risk appetite that that's like in the core. And I think one of the things that happened when in this consistency, setting them a lot of processes and stuff in these companies to steer things, make sure nothing is messed up, basically. If you're successful, just don't mess anything up, yeah. you'll still be successful. Mm. But with that, we kind of brought in a lot of managers, which is very risk averse. Um, so we kind of have these companies with this, just layers of managers who really don't want to change anything. And I think that was, I think that's the hard thing to reverse. If you look at mm. like a company like Google, who has recruited much more generalists and growth mindset, or you look at Microsoft transformation, I was very much about that, you know, stop being the know-it-all and, and, and be the learn-it-all. So I think 
that is really the hard part, I think, besides um, the risk appetizers. Even if you try to reverse it, you will have people who don't have the abilities to really start taking risk again. Mm. That, that, what I assume is like the biggest problem, actually. I think I asked, uh, uh, thought about the answer to the, the, the old and the new. I think that the new companies are the learn it all, where you have a culture where you don't look for whose fault it is. You look for who can solve the problem. Uh, and away from the fear culture, and, and I, I want to avoid blame into how can I actually uh, you know, deliver new value. And uh, I, I worked with some of the state-owned companies in Sweden and uh, telcos uh, in some cases. There's a lot more fear of making a mistake mm. than there is a willingness to take a risk and actually try something new. And that, that it really shows up in, in, in a difference in, in uh, culture and difference in speed. Everything takes forever because everyone can say no, but not no one can say yes. And in, in, in new companies, if we, if we go back to that question, I have a feeling that more people feel empowered to actually say, you know what, I'll try that. I'll fail fast, I'll fail forward, I'll learn from it, and I'll step up, I'll, I'll get up again, and it's okay. My manager will say, good work, please go, keep, continue going. In an old company, what the hell are you doing? You, you, you try something new, get back in line. I think yeah, that's, that's really the, a good definition of the difference between new and old. I, I'm, I'm laughing in the background here, but you just reminded me, um, in uh, freelance recruitment in Stockholm, if I work with one of the fintech companies, yeah, which I do, and I send a profile with one of just someone who's worked at the old banks. Trust me, it's not going to work. It's pointless sending the CV. It's a completely different culture. Yeah. yeah, it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, and I think this is kind of where we've got to with this point. Yeah, they, a, a lot of it, what we're talking about is around personnel and culture, isn't yeah. it? Definitely. And the risk yeah, episode, I think you were, you were spot on, Kevin, from the start. It's the risk. <laughs> yeah. Risk. I think that risk can be, I think this is where, like, I think you said this, Stefan, about software. Like, software enables this to a large extent because um, software lets you take those risks with a lower cost to take the risks. I mean, it, I, I, a couple of years ago, that's like the seven years ago now, I was a product manager and, at the software company and uh at Klarna and uh, I went to one of these product manager meetups in Stockholm and met up with a lot of other software product managers one person there he was a product manager at a um a beer vat brewing company they basically build the vats you beer you brew beer in and we were all we're all sitting there talking about how long it takes to develop our products and I was complaining it takes us like four four months to get this product out and he and then he turned around and he said like so we've been working on our current product for 10 years and we're about to go live with version one. And it's like a whole different kind of time scale, right? Like me, I was complaining about four months. It's this insanely long time. And he was like, oh yeah, 10 years and this is on, on track. Mm. And it's just like the different kind of time scales between physical and, and software lets you take those kind of risks, I think. Mm. Um, right, I'm going to move this conversation slightly on. Um, to the balance section so kind of how do we balance the need for that structure and order that is needed for ensure a well-run machinery that's efficient effective scalable future-proof with the need for innovation agility and flexibility so how, how do we 
how we balance it out. I imagine this is talking about how do we, when we're moving into the new world, how do we keep that balance? Yeah, we might have discussed this, so, but just keen to hear your thoughts on the balance part of things. I think, Kevin, uh, if, you, if you go back to the risk, we need to encourage risk. We need to encourage the learn it all, as you said, Stefan, and make sure we, we celebrate uh, people for actually testing new things. But what, what I add to that one is, but please do whatever you want as long as you use Lego. Don't come to me with Duplos because they do the same thing. They're just bigger and, and they don't fit with the uh, Lego pieces. Don't add another new tool unless there's a specific value in that tool. Go with the old ones. Use, mm. uh, you know, spin up something, test it, and then but close it after you're done. Don't don't let it sit idle. And these are the type of things that uh, we need to get in, into the habit of of uh, reusing and, uh, and testing and then using the modular module modules that we actually provide. Um, it comes to culture. I think this is the um, if we don't have a culture, of, uh, it's OK to to fail fast and fail forward. And we, we won't be able to, to, to do this. Anything on the balance, Stefan? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think this is like the big challenge for companies moving ahead, uh, generally speaking, and the ones that solve this well will, will uh, you know, win the game. That, that's what I believe. And I don't think uh, we have cracked it, really. There might be companies like uh, Amazon and Google might have done it, maybe Amazon, but I think it, there's a lot of companies need to learn how to do this. I think, I mean, what Ola says about culture and we need to recruit, I think we need to do what, like, recruit a certain type of people, we need to instill a certain type of leadership, and we need to instill a certain type of culture that's fundamental, that's different. But I also think we need to find practical ways of working with it, like, and I was into it before, and I don't know what the answer is, but I, I'm just predicting what I think will happen, like, in 10 years. I think companies will be good at having like scalable modes of operandi, scalable ways of working within the same company. So you don't try to do like an innovation hub and then you, you try to push that into the company because it always fails. And, and you can't just say that, you know, this is this um, business that you want to scale and profit from, just, just go bananas and take, you know, all the risks in the world. You have to be able to say, you know, now we're in the phase where we don't take risk, where we focus on streamlining this, but you also have to be able to, you know, move back <laughs> later. Now we have to increase the risk. Now we have to increase the adaptability. And I think if you can build this flexibly in, and the basis is to have people, but I also think you actually have to find some kind of way of working and the system, for instance, just like finance, you need some kind of budgeting for maybe this big expensive, you know, um, you need to know you have you know money flowing into the company to the salaries right so you have to con control of that so maybe you need a you know bigger process for that but at the same time you have to be able to start an um an innovation project that doesn't have targets or that it just gets you know a bunch of money and mm. it doesn't have to report as strictly as other parts i think you have to have that flexibility but, but in, that's in the innovation part, part. And that, that still yep. makes it a little separate. So what I want to do is I want yeah, to make but sure. That's an example with innovation. Yeah. I think I think it I, I think it has to be continuously. It's not just it it has to be like you have to be able to move gradually, you know, in the long yeah. scale, but also small. Okay, yeah. now we focus on repeatability. Okay, now we have that in place. Now we increase the risk. Now we increase 
do more adaptability and have that a whole system that supports that in a good way. Mm. And I want to, to make sure that the engineers and the uh, everyone in the tech organization actually understands the business values and the costs so that they, they start thinking in business cases. So it, why are you doing this? Are you doing it because it's, it's a fun new toy or does it add a business value or do you see an opportunity and what's the what do you think the business case is for that? So always having this you know, uh, cost-benefit analysis and getting that into the mindset of people that we're not doing things because they're fun. We're doing that because they help us uh, prolo- uh, you know, progress the, the company uh, where we are or how we serve, better serve the customers, speed to market or whatever it is that gives a proper value. And that is not always uh, uh, in, in the minds of the engineers because there's a lot mm. of people who, who want to do something unique and new w- without actually knowing because like, Oh, we just build it. We'll we do like Twitter did. They didn't know how to make money. Well, but yes, but they had a really good, unique thing. Is this something that's going to help us become the new new Twitter? Well, if it isn't, maybe we shouldn't do it. Kevin, what what are your thoughts around kind of keeping that balance between structure and innovation? Um, kind of what what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, I, I was thinking about. Every company needs structures to be a company. Otherwise, you're just a whole bunch of people doing random stuff, right? <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, where do you put that focus? Do you put the focus on on creating that that the structure that defines how you work every day? So that's things like policy handbooks and uh, big definitions of how you work, things like this, right? That's like the first level process, and every company has some of those things. But then there's like the the meta process that's on top of that. That's how you change that process. So, and like in tech, the tech world, we have things like agile retrospectives, right? So you do, there's a routine for every couple of weeks to change how you work. And I think, and that's really the key of working in, in the agile way or, or lean way in a different way of looking at it. It's the processes that change how you work every day, not just the processes used to, to define how you work. And I, I think that's where you're able to adapt. And, and at most tech comp- tech organizations, they, they really focus on a lot of those change that the meta processes, the agile retrospectives, and and uh, redefining the Kanban boards, if you use that, and things like that, that really kind of change how you work. I think that's how you have structure, but still keep the ability to adapt. I, I suppose that could come nicely into our next uh, um, question around um, when we're making this change. How do we keep momentum, avoid fatigue in the journey over a number of years? Uh, when we're making this transformation. Um, I don't know, is anyone any thoughts on how we do this? Yeah, this is the, I think I was the one who, who um, put this in because we, we're in the, a few years in or maybe let's say a year and a half into a multi-year program where we're, we're just doing some simple things, exchange, you know, the full move to the cloud, closing down data centers, uh, getting a, a network upgrade to SD one instead of a MPLS network, changing the entire back office uh, ERP and everything, and sh- changing the entire uh, front office from uh, marketing, uh, CRM, uh, configure price quote, uh, you know, uh, delivery, uh, billing, all of this. So we're doing all of this more or less at the same time. Uh, so there will be fatigue. There will be days where where, where things are are really uh, hard. And it's going to continue for another couple of years. Uh, and uh, so we're struggling really hard to make sure people, you know, we, we celebrate the small wins. We we try to give p- people some breathing time, but it's always difficult because there's always new things coming or 
things being uh, uh, more fires popping up. And then you have the combination of all these changes at the same time, they all in interfere with each other in different ways. So this is the, uh, no, the di difficult one uh, to, to make sure we don't have uh, change fatigue and, um, and keep people motivated every day to, uh, to um, excel. Stefan? Yeah, this is an you know, interesting question, of course. Uh, if I could give the answer, I would charge you for it. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I don't have an answer for that. I, I, I'm thinking like, uh, I just read the, um, I mean, the Harvard Business Review, I don't know, saw just a week ago, released like a report on, on transformation projects and, and that uh, 78% failed was that study. I mean, the traditional number is 70, but it, it actually, <laughs> last week, got even worse. <laughs> and I, uh, uh, so no comment on that, no. I'm just, I, I'm just seeing, uh, and do, 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 do you, uh, did it say uh, what were the kind of reasons was that? It, is it was, was the reason because of fatigue? Yeah, are people... Uh, uh, I guess you can read it for yourself. I can't. Yeah, uh, we'll get we'll get, well. but, we'll get the link off here. Yeah, <laughs> but it was uh, no. Um, I think I don't think it was super clear. But they talked about them I and focusing on employees and what the employees wanted was a key success factor, and not only like uh, focus on things like diversity and inclusion, really transforming the company. Uh, I, I personally would view like a transformation that. I think there are two things you really can transform. It's the people and it's the leadership. Uh, and I mean, change who you hire and, and, and how you how you lead, I, I think should be focused. And then I'm more into uh, Kevin there that instead instill this kind of change culture where we do the small changes based on the real problem. That that's the way I would think like a like a transformation. Then when they do like all big lift and shifts, it's not it's not hard to do a little bit mm -hmm. of a time. So some things you really have to you just have to do it, and and you have to do it like a bigger project. But I think when it comes to change the company, you know, uh, I think changing your recruitment and maybe your leadership style and maybe discuss how you lead and then instill this change culture and build it into the organization so you actually build it in. That's mm -hmm. that's what I think. The problem is not just tech is, is easy to change. Uh, changing mm. tech we can do in a, in a short period of time, but then it's the, the people and the culture and especially changing the process and the ways of working because we don't want to, I have the, the analogy, there's a saying in Sweden that you do not uh, pave the cow's path. The cows wander around wherever they want, but they, they create paths and they are not straight and they're not uh, wide, they're narrow and, and they go back and forth across the, the hills. Mm. And that's basically the way we've been walking for the last hundred years. So we, what we want to do is make sure we put a, a, a highway in because it's faster and smoother and, and, and straight line between A and B. But that requires us to actually move away from the old cow's path mm. onto the new highway. So that and that's usually more difficult than just building the highway. And that requires full dedication and, and buy-in from the business side, full sponsorship and, and really working as, as, as a combined team Tech cannot transform the company. It needs to be the business and tech in in, in full uh, teamwork. So that's uh, that's you know how how we we try to do <laughs> make sure this happens in the right way. Uh, mm. If we didn't have to worry about the business side, we would done we would would have been done by by Christmas basically. Mm. But now we need to get everyone on board and and change the way they work, which takes a lot longer. Kevin. 
I think you kind of talked a little bit, but I think that people are, are kind of one of the things that maybe I think maybe impossible to, to deeply change an organization without changing the actual people who are employed in the organization if there's a, a deep problem. I mean, I, I've worked at some companies over periods of time, you know, long enough to see the culture change drastically. And it mm. was the biggest causer, cause of that cultural change was radically different hiring practices that led to a different kinds of people coming in, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worst. Um, but without a, a, with the exact same people, a fundamental change in the culture is really, really I've never seen it happen myself. Um, oh. Yeah. I can just agree. I think, you know, changing your hiring practice is, yeah. is key and also your leadership style and uh, mm. those two things and replacing people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll round this off. Um, I've integrated a couple of questions together for this last question, but I suppose we've been talking about tech, really tech companies um, or people that now rely on tech companies, I suppose, uh, coming into the new world. Um, and for those who aren't innovating, it can affect recruitment. Yeah. So do you think that these companies that rely on tech have no choice but to come into the new world and be the most innovative companies so they can attract that type of talent? Any company doesn't innovate will die. The question is, do you need to innovate? Uh, how, how do you innovate? Is the business model is more important than the tech, I would say. Um, you need to find the business model and a way to make money. The tech you can always solve, but innovation mm. without that you will die. Mm. Your thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, I mean this is a this is a really big question. Obviously, I mean I, I think that the as all three of us are involved in engineering hiring, I'm assuming uh, mm. we all know that the the super big difficult and of course you too, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I just do it for eleven hours a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, we all know how difficult it is to hire good engineers. I mean, you can always hire people. It's, that's never hard. But hiring good people is always hard. And um, retaining them and retain retaining. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, as tech is taking over more and more of every single industry, I mean, what industry hasn't been taken over by tech at this point? Maybe not, not many left at this point. Uh, then the, the demand for great engineers continues to increase. Which makes people like Chris very happy, I'm sure. <laughs> no, because every time I get an interview with someone, they've got five other offers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I feel your pain sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I guess at the end I'm saying that we it that it really becomes super important to provide a, a great working environment for for people for humans uh, and to have great people, since the people are going to be what cause you to have a good culture or a or a uh, a dysfunctional culture. Yeah. Stefan? Yeah, my answer to your question was yes. <laughs> but that's a while ago you asked it. Yeah. No, but I, th I think um, um, you have to work with, like, that's one of the reasons to move to the cloud and use new technologies. It's really, really hard to attract people if you don't, like, use modern technologies and modern way of working and modern leadership. I think you will really struggle. So that's mm. super key. I can't really see you succeeding unless you actually do that. Yeah. At least not in Stockholm. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we're, we're going to finish it nicely there. 
Um, so massive thank you for the uh, from Ola, Stefan, and Kevin, um, and to those who uh, to those people who are still listening. Thank you.